0: Slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash MV Bible Magic Valley Bible Church built on God's Word.
1: We'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. When I got that text yesterday around noon, I knew that I needed a passage that will preach itself. And this is a passage that is clear to us. It's one that uh, we spent a couple weeks talking about on Pastor's Roundtable on Thursday mornings on the radio. And so it had been a passage I had been mulling over some already that I had been considering, trying to get better understanding of, but it's such a great passage for comfort, for strength, for hope. And so let's read this passage together, Psalm 46, and again I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible this morning. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its lofty pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she will not be shaken. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations roar, the kingdoms shake, he gives his voice, the earth melts. Yahweh of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of Yahweh, who has appointed desolations in the earth, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts up the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Thus reads the word of the living God. Confidence. It's a, a buzzword in our very business driven society today. When going in for a job interview, one of the key components that all advice givers online will give you, and they're always perfectly accurate because they're on the internet, they tell you to be confident when you're in that interview. When it comes to the art of public speaking, once again, they're gonna tell you to have confidence while you speak. Typically that comes in the form of, of silly advice such as picturing the audience in their underwear. I'm not doing that. They'll also tell you that as a leader, at times you may not know what you're doing, but as long as you do it with confidence, people will follow you. I've been doing that for the past five to ten years. But the best example of confidence is in children ages three to eight. They have the greatest amount of confidence that you could ever imagine. Tiffany and I have several nieces and nephews. And one of my nieces is thoroughly confident in the fact that I, Uncle Nate, am a monster. And when having a conversation about her, or with her about this, here's typically how this will go. I'll say, I'm not a monster. And she'll turn to me and say, yes, you are. And that's the end of the conversation. She is confident in the fact that I am a monster, and there's probably some validity to that. Sometimes, however, confidence can be misguided. A friend of mine, when he was a child, in order to make a quick getaway from the kitchen from either his siblings or his parents, he would sprint under the kitchen table. Just a dead-on sprint. He had full confidence. Of going under that table but as time will tell he grew and the table did not so one day in his usual efforts to escape his siblings or or his parents he began his dead sprint under the table and he did not come out the other side he smacked his head because his confidence was misguided and we, we often place confidence in people. Growing up in small town Hinton, Iowa, we had the greatest confidence in Chief Meteorologist Ron DeMars. He was a man who understood the weather better than anyone. He was a celebrity. And he was only like five foot five. But yet one winter, We were anticipating 18 to 24 inches of snow in one night. It was a school night and I was ecstatic. No school tomorrow, it's going to be great. We're going to go out sledding. It's going to be phenomenal. And I turned on the TV and there's Ron DeMars telling me we're going to have 18 to 24 inches. All right. Woke up the next morning, about two inches on the ground. My confidence in chief meteorologist Ron DeMars dropped a little bit that day. And so from then on, if there was ever a prediction of 12 inches or more, you take it with a grain of salt. It's good to have confidence. Sometimes it's misguided. We place our confidence in people, but sometimes that confidence wanes as what they say or what they do, falls inaccurate. And as we come to Psalm 46 this morning, this is a psalm of confidence. If if you want a title for this psalm, I would aptly title this a psalm of confidence. The psalmist's confidence is, is not misguided, it's not misplaced because his confidence is in the Lord God. When you quickly just peruse this psalm, you'll see that there's no doubt in the psalmist's mind. There's no, this possibly is true, or this might happen. No, he's very declarative in what he says. He doesn't doubt anything. He is confident in God. And the psalm shows us that no matter the circumstances, we can have confidence in God. And the psalmist does this by pointing out three characteristics of God. Three characteristics of God. We're gonna look at three aspects of God's character this morning. And my, my hope, my prayer through this is that your understanding of God will be heightened and that you will grow in your confidence in God. That's what we want to have. Greater confidence in God. Unshakable, unchanging, irrefutable confidence in God. So there's, there's three aspects of God's character when we look at the psalm, and, and you can easily see that it's broken up by the selah at the end of verse 3, at the end of verse 7, and then at the end of the psalm, that selah is there as an instrumental marker. It's meant to be a momentary pause of reflection. And so when reading through these psalms, because there's many that contain that, I will not read that word, but I will give pause to it. It was a musical interlude of sorts to allow the listener and the singer to reflect on what they had just sang or what they had just heard. And so there's three aspects of God's character. We're first going to see the protection of God in verses 1 through 3, the provision of God in verses 4 through 7, and then the power of God in verses 8 through 11. Protection, provision, and power. And all of these are meant to show us that we can have confidence in God. That's our goal this morning. This is a psalm of confidence. So as we as we look at this psalm, there there's not much for context that we know. This the superscription can be helpful. It says, "For the choir director of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song for the choir director." indicating that this was supposed to be a musical psalm, one that was sung or played in some capacity. It's for the sons of Korah, who are a division of the Levites, usually those leading the music. We have a number of psalms that are addressed to the sons of Korah. And then it says, according to Alamoth, which possibly could be translated, there's some diversity here, but it could be translated as young women, indicating that you would have young women singing this with the congregation. So so for the context, we don't really know a whole lot out of Psalm 46. Scholars debate greatly what the occasion for this psalm is, why the psalmist wrote it. A very likely possibility is that this was in response to a siege against Jerusalem. The psalmist sees the turmoil outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he responds with confidence in God. You take a look at the, the language here, a refuge, a stronghold. It, it points out the, the very strong nature of our God, and it has the language of a fortress, this This psalm was the very subject of Martin Luther's famed hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And while we can't be fully certain of the occasion for this psalm, one thing does remain, the psalmist is confident in God. And so, we'll start off in verses 1-3, through seeing this great confidence in the protection of of God. Verses 1 through 3 show us the protection of God. The psalmist starts very boldly in his declaration. He says, God is our refuge and strength. In the midst of turbulence, he writes, God is our refuge and strength. These two very parallel terms, refuge and strength. Refuge has the connotation of a place of protection from calamity, where strength has the connotation of protection through calamity, meaning that refuge is guarding you away from danger, whereas if you're going through danger, strength will get you through that danger. God is our refuge and strength. The main point here is clear that God is a protector. And to really bring that out, the psalmist is looking at what it means to have God as a protector. And this concept is all over the Psalms, particularly in the first book of the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, says, How blessed are all who take refuge in him, Psalm 5, verse 11, let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy and may you shelter them. Psalm 7, verse 1, O Yahweh my God, in you I have taken refuge. Psalm 18, 2, a very parallel psalm to this, says, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 25, verse 20 says, keep my soul and deliver me. Do not not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. In all of these, you can note the confident tone with which the psalmist writes. The psalmist has no doubt in the confidence in God, where God is a refuge. There's there's protection, there's stability, there's safety, away from all the difficulty and tumultuousness of trials. Psalm 62, verses 2 and 3 says, From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength before the enemy. This refuge, a a place to hide, a place to rest away from danger or harm. For the past seven years prior to moving to Twin Falls, Tiffany and I, lived or at least I lived prior to marrying Tiffany in Los Angeles and for four of those years I had to make the great drive down Interstate 5 in Los Angeles which is known to be one of the deadliest interstates in the country. And typically going home some days if you beat the traffic you're going anywhere from 80 to 90 mile an hour, cars are zooming by you, motorcyclists are doing almost double that sometimes. And I remember multiple times I would pull into my parking spot, into my garage back home, and I would just take a deep breath. I made it. I'm out of the turmoil, the turbulence of driving on the interstate. I'm safe. I've reached refuge away from the madness. So God is our refuge and strength. He continues by saying a very present help in trouble there in the second half of verse 1. And literally that would be translated a help in troubles he is found to be abundantly. A help in troubles he is found to be abundantly. He is not just a help but he is a very Present help is what the psalmist writes. He's saying that when trouble hits, you don't have to dial long distance to get a hold of God. He's already there. He is right there in the midst of that trial. He is with you. He is a very present help. But he's not just very present in times of troubles. He is a very present help in times of troubles. He's not just there, but he's there as a guide, as a protector for you. This concept of help, it's it's interesting. You see this a couple times here in Psalm 46. It has the idea of doing something that someone cannot do themselves. When When there seems to be no way out, when there seems to be no way forward, When you can't move, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there, and he's there as a guide and as a keeper for you. So the psalmist rightly concludes then, starting in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear. We will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. The confidence of the psalmist here is clearly stated. The prior statements that the psalmist has made are not in doubt, nor is this one. He's not saying that God might be our refuge or that he is a kind of present help and that we should not fear. No, he's saying God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble and therefore we will not. Fear. The psalmist is confident in the protection of God. And it comes in the midst of great uncertainty. Notice the language that described the circumstances here in verses two and three: the earth should change, the mountains shake into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam, the mountains quake at its lofty pride. This is a total upheaval of all stability. The past two years, the number one word that pastors use is unprecedented. We're in unprecedented times. But I'm gonna tell you, this is unprecedented. There's a total upheaval of stability from the highest point of the mountains to the lowest point of the sea Everything is turned upside down. It's interesting in verse 2, if you have the New American Standard, it says the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. And I hear that and I think it sounds a little tame. It's like, whoop, there it went. It's a little tame for me. I I think a better way to translate that And I think the LSB translators here got this right. It says, though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea. It's a violent movement. It didn't just fall over. It collapsed in great violence, in great movement. The peak of the mountain now rests at the bottom of the ocean. And as a result of that, the waters roar and foam. We often see the tumultuousness of water in Scripture, such as Jonah, with the sea raging around him. Jesus and the disciples in the boat with the storm that they dealt with. There's no, no stability. There's no calm. This is, this is a magnitude 10 earthquake. Now granted... Up here in Idaho, we don't really deal with earthquakes a whole lot. Again, living in Los Angeles, there's so many illustrations from Los Angeles because it was so terrifying sometimes, but we had to deal with earthquakes. And I remember one day I was sitting in the living room of the house I was staying at. This was about a month before Tiffany and I got married, and I felt an earthquake start. So, the first thing you do is go outside. And I remember looking across the street, there was a major cross street next to the house, and across from it, probably 50 yards away, was a parking structure. And I remember watching people, as the earthquake went on, and it was very long, I watched people sprint, like a dead sprint out of that parking structure. And and you look at a parking structure like that, and you can feel the walls. They're solid concrete. You have cars parking on the roof of this thing, and it's not going to collapse, but yet a little bit of shaking, and that whole thing can come down. Have you ever considered the fact that the ground you're sitting on, that where your feet are currently resting, is less stable than God? Our confidence is so easily placed in earthly things. We can have confidence in the life insurance policy that you have. When you go to the doctor and you get a clean bill of health, dodged a bullet. Or the money you have safe in the bank, we have confidence in that. Or Idahoans, all the guns that you have. None of that compares to the refuge of our God. You can own several guns and still fear. But the psalmist here says, God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. This is is the confidence we should have Think of Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Listen to this. It says, For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is is the refuge that we need to have. This is the confidence that we need to have, understanding that that earthquake that moved a mountain, yes, it's God who made that mountain. It's God who created all things by just the word of his mouth. That's the confidence that we need to have in God, understanding that he is our refuge and strength. Where do we put our confidence? In God. Elizabeth Elliot, after she lost her second husband, she says this, In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. Our confidence in in God is first understood here through his protection. So we see the protection of God. Now moving down into verse 4 through 7, we're going to see the provision of God. The provision of God. He says, starting in verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And we can look at this section, and it seems to be a bit more abstract than the previous section. We we understand that God is a refuge. God is our strength, the very present help in trouble. We can understand that. But the psalmist then moves on to look at a river. It's not quite clear. But it's interesting to note the rivers. When you consider a river in the ancient Near Eastern time, a river was a key to life. A river was a key to life. You could not live. In fact, you still can. It's amazing. You cannot live without water. And so, in the ancient Near East, you had to build your civilization next to water. It was critical. It was the only way the civilization could thrive. Now, if you put this this in the context of a possible siege against Jerusalem in war times, The source, the control of a water supply was critical. If an enemy had control of a city's water supply, just throw a little bit of poison in there or completely cut it off, and an entire city, no matter how large that city was, it would fall. Water is critical. You can't live without it. It could be the factor in winning a war. Just water. That's all you need. And it's, it's a fair context to see here because, because the psalmist says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We understand the city of God to be Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the main source of water was called the Gehon Springs. It was a natural spring outside of the city that flowed abundantly. And in Hezekiah's day, in order to prevent a siege against the city, what he did is he built a tunnel underneath the city so that the water from the Gihon Spring could flow into the city uninterrupted. You could not siege against that water source. Hezekiah protected it. He rerouted it. And in order, and in so doing, he provided the people with life. The people, the enemy could not harm the city because the city had flowing water. And that water is still running today. Four years ago, I ruined a perfectly good pair of shoes in Hezekiah's tunnel because the water was up to my knees. The water still flows. If you go to Israel, when you go to Israel, I know we've been planning an Israel trip, you will walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. It's considered one of the most amazing archaeological, I can't even say that, feats of their day. They dug from two different ends and met in the middle, and Hezekiah ensured that water flowed through it to give life to the city, to provide life for the city. Without it, they would have died. So the psalmist is saying that God, through this river, is the ultimate provider. And notice what the result is for the city. It says, the streams make glad the city of God. The city rejoices knowing that it's God who provides for them. His well never runs dry. And that's the idea of the term river here. It's a constant flowing source. Much like the Snake River that we have here, it's always flowing, it's moving. One of the hymns that we sing here is, Like a River Glorious. And that first stanza says, Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace. Symbolizing that the peace of God is constant in a world of uncertainty. It does not stop. It continues to flow. God continues to provide peace. But it's important to note here that the people in the city, they're they're glad, they're excited, they're rejoicing. And yes, they're rejoicing in the water, but ultimately they need to rejoice in the one who's providing the water. The key is not to get caught up in provision, but to glorify the provider. And Israel got caught in this very issue early on, back in the book of Exodus. God provided for them, delivered them out of Egypt, and provided water for them, and then they complained, wanting food. And so God provided food for them, and then they complained that it was just bread. And so God provided meat for them with fish. They were so caught up in the provision itself, it's it's not the five-course meal, the steak dinner that I wanted, rather than rejoicing that God had provided what they needed. Don't get caught up in the provision, but glorify the provider. They were so focused on what they were getting that they never praised God for providing for them. And we do the exact same thing. How many times, Do we ask God to provide in some fashion for us? And yet, when God does provide, we don't go back and thank him. Or we're we're not satisfied with what he has provided. But the psalmist here is not that way. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 5, that God is in the midst of her. He sees the river, he sees the provision, and he instantly turns to God, understanding that God's the one who provides. Having lots of stuff is no benefit if you don't know the provider. Think of the rich man in Luke 12. He had stored up so much for himself in barns, he built bigger barns, and he decided to relax. But God said, you fool. God called him a fool because he was so focused on the provision that he had, all the stuff that he had, he never once considered the one who provided for him, the one that he was going to meet face to face that night. It's God who supplies all your needs. Think of this from John chapter 4. Jesus tells the woman at the well, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, ever. That's the provision that I want. That's the provision that we need. It's God who provides for us. And thus there's joy in God's provision. He provides for all of our needs, and therefore we can have confidence in him. The psalmist reiterates there at the end of verse 5 and, and beginning of verse 6 that the nations revolt, the kingdom shake, yet God is with us. And it's interesting how he ends this section in verse 7. He says, Yahweh of hosts is with us. When you think of hosts in Scripture, you should understand that he's referring to angels, an angelic host, a legion possibly, Thousands of angels, and this is the grand army of angels that God has at his disposal. Jesus, if you remember before his death, he says he could have called down legions. So how much then can God provide for us? Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap. Nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And so he goes on by saying, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, caveat here seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is our provider. God provides for his people. The psalmist then, at the very end of verse 7, he takes a look at an Old Testament example. He says the God of Jacob is our stronghold. And if you remember Jacob's life in Genesis, the latter portion of his life, particularly thinking he had lost Joseph, he was facing a famine, and yet God provided for him. Through his son Joseph in Egypt, he provided food abundantly for them. God was working to provide for his people. And and it's the same God, the same God of Jacob, who provides for us. This is an interesting statement here. Listen carefully. It says, to have God and nothing else makes you richer than the one who has everything except God. To have God and nothing else makes you richer than the one who has everything except God. Our confidence in God is built on his protection, as we saw in verses 1 through 3, his provision in verses 4 through 7, and now we come to the third point in verses eight through 11, the power of God. We can have confidence knowing who God is through the power of God. And in this section, it's interesting to note, the psalmist takes a turn. It's actually a more forward-looking section of the psalm. The previous sections were looking backward or in the current day, the psalmist is looking forward with the culmination you'll see there in verse 10 with a lot of I will statements, talking about what's going to happen. But we've seen the rage of nations and of kingdoms in verses 5 and 6. We've seen the earth in turmoil in verses 1 through 3. There's danger constantly. There's nations waging war, but yet... In this section, they stand no chance against God. We see the power of God here. Take a look at verse 8 and 9. It says, Come, behold the works of Yahweh, who has appointed desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts up the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. You see, there is nothing that can match the great might of God. There is no army. There's no chariot. There's no sword. There's no bow. There's no tank. There's no F-22 Raptor. There's no army. Nothing can match the power of God. And that is a great confidence for us. There's no nation that can stand in His presence. There's nothing as great or as powerful as our God. And we have confidence in that. That in the midst of things that seem to overpower us, there's nothing that comes close to the power of God. God is our refuge and strength of very present help in times of trouble. And it's, it would be foolish to say those things if God didn't have the power to overcome those troubles. He does. God is a powerful God, and we have confidence in that. So then in verse 10, kind of the culmination here of this section, it's God essentially speaking directly and he says, cease striving and know that I am God. Be still. The connotation of the phrase cease striving, it, it's literally, it literally means to drop your hands. Stop toiling unnecessarily. Stop dealing with all of these things. Drop your hands. Rest. Be still, stop worrying about the minuscule things over here, stop dealing with the things over here unnecessarily, stop fretting about all these various circumstances, cease striving and know that I am God. God is saying, I am the God who protects you from calamity that could come over you. I'm the God who provides for you when you seem to have absolutely nothing else. And that is the greatest provision. And he's saying, I am the God who is more powerful than anything in or above or around or under this earth. And he concludes by showing a glimpse of what is to come. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Put it into super layman's terms. God's saying, I got this. Yeah, all that stuff that's coming, I got it covered. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll deal with it. And God's saying, I will win. I will have Victory. You see, our confidence is not just looking back as we've done in verses 1 through 7 or in the present moment. It's looking forward to what God will do. And we understand, first and foremost, that in the end, God will reign. It's interesting to note our our eschatology matters, how we see the end of things matters and we may have differing views over how some of those things will work out, but the biggest key is seeing the very end of things, where God will reign. I was having a conversation with an individual three, four weeks ago, and we were discussing current events like everyone else does these days, and they were pretty distraught over it, constantly worrying, about where this nation was headed, where this world was going. Things were falling apart. Inflation's through the roof. We're dealing with all these things over here. But yet the psalmist tells us here in this psalm, there's no doubt, there's no worry. He says, we will not fear. This this is the confidence that is found in Christ. That no matter what comes, we can be confident in Him that He will protect us from danger, that He will provide for us in times of need, and that His power is greater than anything we could imagine. He will protect us, provide for us, and His great power will not fail. And so the psalmist he reiterates his words at the end of verse 11. He, he caps two sections, verse 7 and verse, verse 11, with the statement here. He says, Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That, that repetition, it's there for us because how often do we forget? How often Do we say, yes, God, I believe in you, I have confidence in you, yet something comes and we shrink away. And so the psalmist reminds us again in verse 11, Yahweh of hosts, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. There is no doubt. There is no fear. There is no uncertainty." We can have confidence in God. And Christian, if you're listening, we need to have confidence. Because when we look back and see the faithfulness of God, we've got to know that God is going to be faithful in the future. And for those who may be listening who may say, I don't have that confidence. I don't have that hope. I don't have that assurance. I don't, I don't have that Christ. Turn to Him. Recognize that there is no greater salvation than in our God. Without Him, there is no confidence. There is no hope. There is no joy There is no happy ending. It's not happily ever after. But with him, it's much greater. It's a happily ever after into eternity. To rejoice and to be with God. See that confidence. Have that confidence. Knowing that God protects, he provides, and he has great power over all things. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are our stronghold, that you are our strength, that we can say with confidence, we will not fear. Lord, we rejoice in you this morning. We rejoice in the protection that you give us That when all earthly things could fail, Lord, you protect us and you provide for us. When we may have nothing else, Lord, our greatest need is always you. And Lord, we rejoice in your power. Knowing that there's nothing that can stand against you. That you will have the victory. That you cannot lose. And Lord, what a joy it is to one day stand before you face to face. Lord, that is is the hope that we long for. And our confidence is geared that direction. We desire to know you more. We desire to love you more. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us to give us this great confidence. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.